I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Wadundi and Bububun people of Wudichup in the southwest Bujara region in Nungabuja, also known as Margaret River. I acknowledge their continuing connection to the land, waters and community. I pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. This is episode number 68 and we're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Danny Lakey. Originally from Western Australia and growing up in Perth, Danny started out doing casual music shifts at Hit 90.9 CFM Gold Coast and has also worked at Hit 92.9 Perth and the breakfast shift at Star uh, 106.3 in Townsville. He currently hosts the Danny Lakey Show a national nighttime show on Triple M, which you can listen to from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. weeknights across the country. Danny is a self-confessed pub quiz master and amateur comedian. You can find him on Instagram at Danny Lakey Show and also on the Triple M website, which is triplem.com.au under the Danny Lakey Show tab. And in this episode, uh, Danny and I, we have a conversation about uh, sobriety and alcohol and alcoholism as well. And uh, Danny, who's been sober for a while now, we, we talked to, uh, well, I talked to him about being an Australian, an Aussie dude in our pretty heavy drinking culture and, and what's, you know, what's that like, uh, particularly as it pertains to kind of being a man and, and uh having that wrapped up in our masculinity. We also talk a little bit about like exploring altered states of consciousness as well with psychedelics and plant medicine. And uh, we, we throw a good old dash of talking about sex in there as well, maybe combining sex and psychedelics, uh, what that's like. Uh, and yeah, how these things kind of have impacted and continue to impact Danny's life. Uh, I talk with Danny every Monday on his uh, show, the Danny Lakey Show. We do Sex Mondays. And uh, yeah, have a good time. Always have a laugh chatting to him. Um, super down to earth. And this is a really enjoyable conversation. So I hope you enjoy listening. Purpose of foreplay is to cause the vagina to lubricate so that the penis can penetrate more easily. During sexual intercourse between a man and a woman, firms are placed in the vagina of the woman by the penis of the man. Let me at this point make a clear-cut scientific statement. Masturbation is not harmful. Um, uh, well, I know a little bit about you, man, just from having chatted to you on, on radio, but I, I don't know your, your kind of whole story. And, and that's usually what I invite my guests to do straight away is to, is to share a bit about like their life, what they're doing today, maybe how you got into you know, radio and, and, um, and I know you do stand-up comedy as well. So maybe how that kind of came about. I'd love to just learn a little bit more about your story, man, if you're open to sharing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was about 19, 20 when I first um, did some community radio. Like a lot of guys my age at that time, we'd be drunk down the pub with the best mate going, oh, how funny are we? We'd be the next Hamish and Andy. Oh, we need to do something about this. And uh, so there's a, there's a couple of ways you can get your foot in the door, but one of them is volunteering at a community radio station. So I did that for a couple of years and um 
then finally got a break doing uh, commercial music, you know, the pop, the pop music and actually getting paid for it, just pre-recording breaks overnight, which means not live, just kind of doing it. If you screw up, you can just re-record it and they just kind of play on automatically through the system. Um, so that happened and I did that for about a year doing all the graveyards and whatnot whilst um, a pretty bad alcoholic at the same time. So about a year into that after recording breaks in the first hour and then just hanging around babysitting it whilst drinking beers out of the uh, staff fridge unbeknownst to anyone else and driving around the promotional vehicles, um, uh, I got done for drink driving um, at one point, not in the pro promotional vehicle at the time, but um, struggling with alcohol, living on the Gold Coast, got done drink driving. So I had to ring up the boss and say, hey, I can't drive the promotional vehicles anymore. I've lost my licence. And being a new little 20-year-old kid, they were like, well, okay, well, don't bother coming back and doing the radio stuff either, um, which was a little bit shit, but obviously, you know, my own fault. And um, I thought that would be the end of it. I just went travelling and uh, took another path in life and just by accident kind of got back into it through a chance encounter one day at the gym where I met a girl who did the local breakfast show back in Perth. And I just said, oh, I used to do a little bit of radio. She's like, oh, you should come in and meet the boss. We need someone for the weekends. And uh, just as chance would have it, got back in, started doing some weekend shifts, realised that there's only so many times you can talk into an Ed Sheeran song without wanting to punch yourself in the face and thought, I want to do more content stuff, longer bass breaks, more conversations. So traditionally, you've got to go to a regional town and do your radio apprenticeship, as they say. So it was a year in Townsville doing the local breakfast show there, then six months in Rockhampton doing the local breakfast show there, and then... Got a call to come to Sydney to do midnight to 5am, five nights or five mornings a week. And I've just been slowly working my way up since. Uh, I used to do 9pm to midnight and now I'm currently doing 7pm till 10pm on Triple M. So it's been about probably seven or eight years all up with a uh, break in the middle. And, um, you know, it, it's great. It's I've got to a point where it's basically I, I have pretty free free roam to talk about what I want and have creative control over most of my breaks within reason and just get to wouldn't necessarily speak say speak my truth. It sounds a bit wanky. Anyone who's heard the show knows that it's kind of just ridiculous. To be honest, uh, when you come on every Monday night, that's probably although it's about sex, it's also probably one of the most uh, deepest and more highbrow conversations that I have on the show. Um, the rest is kind of just mucking around. What what cheese do you think should be banished from the dairy section? <laughs> or when, when did your dog bite you on the ass? Elaborate. So um, it's good fun. It's uh, yeah, it's it, it, I'm very lucky to get to do what I, I love and, and get paid for it as well. Beautiful man. And how, so, how old is the Danny Lakey show officially? Uh, the Danny Lakey show. Ooh. I mean, it, it's gone through a few uh, aggressive rebrand names, much like my own name as well. It was Wakey Wakey, it's Danny Lakey. Uh, then it was the Danny Lakey Late Show. And when it moved to 7 o'clock, which is probably about a year ago, it turned into the Danny Lakey Show. So the earlier it gets, the, the more little buzzwords we can take out of the name. It doesn't quite make sense saying Late Show anymore. You can't say Wakey Wakey. So, yeah, a bit, maybe it might just be the show one day when I, <laughs> when I crack it into the breakfast. Yeah, just just so, Danny, that's it. Yeah, Danny. There you go. That's me. So, yeah, it, it's good. And, I mean, I, lo I love working the nights at the moment. I don't have to wake up early. You know, I forgot to set my 10.30 uh, a.m. alarm the other day, woke up at midday, no stress. <laughs> Still went about my day. <laughs> so my, my body clock's a bit shifted. 
the only downside is you can't really socialize between 5 p.m and, and 9 p.m weeknights which is kind of when you know most people finish work and go grab a drink or, or have some food or whatnot but I mean I'm picking at straws I really enjoy it I love the lifestyle I love the job and and I'm I'm so grateful to be in the sweet spot and churning in the furnace and doing what I love and content with that, but knowing that there are bigger prizes on offer in the in my career if I if I keep working hard and applying myself. So it's, it's a good place to be. That's what I wanted to ask you about, man. Is like I know you you've kind of worked your way up, as you said, to like the seven p.m. to is it seven to ten, seven to nine, mm, seven to ten, yeah, seven to ten. And is that like? Uh, and I think you just mentioned just real briefly that you, you're wanting to get into a bit more of a main time spot. Is that kind of the aspiration is to get a little bit earlier? Yeah, for sure. Like I'm a competitive person just in anything. So if I'm going to do something, I want to be one of the best at it, if not the best. So the best uh, slots, the uh, highest rating, the most ears, the most money are in the the drive slot, which is 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. weekdays, or uh, a met- metro city breakfast slot, which is 6 to 9 when most people are driving to work and the most ears are there. So it's probably the next step. It's a big step. You know, it's um, the, the higher the steps go, the less positions there are and, the you know, the, the harder you've got to work and there's a whole heap of um, aspects that go into it in terms of just your own brand and your personal brand and recognition anyway. You know, it's kind of hard to be a no-name in a way. You kind of need a bit of a celebrity status not saying you need to go on reality TV for it, but, you know, if you're famous for, for your acting or your stand-up comedy or, or whatever, that can help a lot. And and uh, that's just part of the beast because people like to know who they're listening to that, you know, I, at the moment I'm really just, you know, known for radio, you know, in a very small pond. But I need, I'm trying to, you know, bring a bit more on social media and do stand-up comedy and it's all about trying to build your brand as a, as a media sort of triple prong or quadruple pronger kind of thing. But... That's the goal, but I'm also very happy doing what I'm doing. So it's a good spot. Yeah. And that that's something I'm curious about, man, is like, you know, it, it's like almost like personality, right? You've got to have a certain personality to be on radio, I feel like, or to, to, to do anything in, in entertainment. I feel like you've got to have a bit of a persona. And I'm wondering, is like what you hear, what you get with Danny Lakey, like the way that you show up on radio, is it... Uh, I mean, authentic in a sense, but is it like, do you have to kind of get yourself into a certain state to be on radio in order to kind of perform in a sense? Or is it, uh, is it like chalk and cheese with regards to you and your social life? No, it's definitely a higher version of myself, partly because it's basically a solo show. So you don't have two or three others to bounce off. So you do need to keep it quite elevated and quite high energy. I don't think it would be that great to have me as a friend if I was like that 24 hours a day. <laughs> I think sometimes you just need to, to calm down a little more. Um, so, no, it's definitely an elevated version of myself. I mean, I talk about things that I find funny. It's it's my sort of humour, that sort of uh, dark, sarcastic um, sort of humour with like a, a playful nature and, and quite transparent and happy to, to make a bit of a fool of myself. Funnily enough, I think... All I really need is three hours a day to to act like a goose and it gives me that licence to do it. And I know that you'll probably have questions about drugs and alcohol later on, but I, I think it's replaced the alcohol for me. I haven't drank alcohol for six and a half years 
And there's some very big similarities between me drinking and the thrill I used to get from alcohol versus the thrill I get from being on live radio each night. It's that license to get away with things that you might not usually get away with, an excuse to to play up a little more and and be a bit more heightened in an elevated version of yourself. And I, I think I've always looked for that thrill and now I'm able to do it in a much more healthy, beneficial way. Yeah, very interesting, man. Uh, well, let's uh, let's talk about the sobriety then, man. What what spurred that on? What prompted it six and a half years ago? Um, it, this time, the, now, this time, six and a half years, just kind of happened by accident. It's so funny the way things work because I tried to give up quite a few times before that. I think my record before that was maybe thirty five days. Um, and I've also tried to make little deals along the way. Oh, I'm just a three drink guy. Oh, I only drink light beer. Oh, I only drink on weekends. And it was just making excuses for myself. Some people, they really need to keep a real tight leash on things. And that means absolutely zero, not even a a chance, just a pure non-negotiable. So this time around it, it, I think my last ever drinks really were the first time I ever drank with my younger brothers. Um, and they were just sort of turned 18 and I was obviously pr- probably about 25 or so by then. And, um, it, yeah, it, it was, you know, you think it would be great. Oh, have a couple of beers with your brothers. And it is for the first couple. And before I know it, you know, I'm having the, the first ever argument I've ever had with them and wake up the next day embarrassed about what I've done and, and, uh, that kind of thing. So obviously a whole heap of trouble and, and, um, anxiety and, and guilt and, depression before all that but that was kind of the straw that brought the camel's back to which I made a conscious decision hey I'm just not going to drink for the next week um and then one week later it was my birthday and I thought no I'm not, I just don't feel like drinking I was just at a point where there was just nothing positive to be gained anymore and before I knew it it was three months six months down the track and through that time, you sort of realize a few things about yourself and you almost become stubborn. You're like, well, I don't want to break that now because it's been six months. I don't want to have to reset this again. And I'd known deep down for a while that I needed to stop. And like anything, it's just practice being out in those social situations that you thought would have been impossible to be out in. Just slowly but surely you tick off something and then you reclude for a while and pass up a few things. And another year down the track, you're like, oh, that doesn't seem so bad, actually. I could easily go and go to a music festival and not drink or go to this person's wedding and not have any beers. So it's six and a half years now. It's part of my identity. Um, it's, it's just stubbornness at the same time. I'd be lying if I said I didn't miss it to a certain degree, but overall I know it's the, the best thing for me and there's no way I could do what I do on, on the air with that much energy. It's just a, a hangover. Is, it's not only the physical the grossness of the feeling of a hangover it's just that mental lag for two or three days slow foggy feeling guilty anxious depressed and I would drink the next day to just deal with that it was no oh my god I'm so hungover I'm never going to drink again it was right I'm hungover I need to go to work where's a six-pack let me get back to baseline so there was a lot of secret drinking and trying to deal with all that and not let people know those times as well which which would suck and I'd be in the car before work secretly drinking before a date even hang out with my family sometimes when I just wasn't feeling right I'd just be secretly swigging drinking always planning to have something ready if I felt awkward or uncomfortable so 
yeah, it was it was a bad time, but it feels like another life now. I mean, what do they say? Seven years for your organs to regenerate. So in about six months' time, I've got a brand new, perfectly healthy liver. I'm pretty sure. Nice, so. man. Nice. I um, I I think you use this this term, but do you, did you identify as a like alcoholic as a, a being addicted to alcohol? Was that like how you identified? I, I guess so. Um, I've never been into labels. Uh, massively and you know you think of alcoholic you think of some town drunk or some tramp who lives under a bridge and is just drinking out of a brown paper bag but I think we all know and we've come along a lot more in awareness in in terms of different ways that you can abuse alcohol over the past couple of years especially and you can be a bored housewife who's polishing off a bottle of wine during the day while the kids are at school you can be that businessman who, who can't cope and unless he's having a couple of whiskeys after a, a long day and be that secret drinker who just really can't face anything without having alcohol so yeah I, I fell into what that category obviously and the gap between my sober capabilities and with alcohol versus without alcohol was just widening i just got to a point where i couldn't do anything so yeah i i, I guess so I, I don't really think it, it matters or or not and um, whether I think I was or wasn't, it was it was a bad problem. And I think if you think you've got a problem, that's the most helpful thing. You don't need to wait until you become a full blown alcoholic. If you're getting those demons and that that guilty part of your conscience, you know, tipping you off and saying, "Hey, you could be doing better than this," I think I think that's enough for people to make a step. Yeah, yeah, that resonates with me, man. Because I, I, yeah, I had a drinking problem i was drinking too much like i you know obviously didn't don't don't think i used the label i wouldn't say i was addicted wouldn't say i was an alcoholic but definitely was like this doesn't feel good this doesn't feel good to me i don't think i should be doing this much drinking um and so i made the decision to take a year off i was like because i similar similar to you man in the whole like oh, i'll you know take a month off or i'll just kind of limit myself to this many drinks and i just noticed that as soon as i got a couple of drinks in me that was it i was like i'm going to just keep on drinking you know that the floodgates have opened so to speak and um and so i was like all right it's my i think it was my it was a couple of years ago now one of my 27 so it must have been my 24th birthday i was like all right i'm gonna go birthday to birthday my 25th you know the 25th year of my life i'm gonna i'm gonna be sober and um and, and yeah, I did it. I did it, and it was um, it was eye opening. I was like, wow, I didn't realize that I relied on booze for certain things. Um, and if I think back to like what I was really relying on booze for, um, and I've shared this a, a couple of times on podcasts, is like I was using it as you know the, the the adage is liquid courage. You know, I was I was using it to get me through, or at least get me into conversations with women pretty much like that's as a young dude that's what I was doing especially in university and college when I was over in the states like I'd get smashed and then go out and talk to you know go out and talk to chicks go out and try and pick up chicks and and my in, like in my mind I was able to be like oh I'm I'm drunk so it does, I can make a fool of myself doesn't matter because I can just blame it on the booze um, and it also gave me the, the, the inhibitions were lost and things like that but then also when I was being sexual as well like if I you know, if I got whiskey dick or brewer's droop or if I just was a mess in the bedroom, I could be like, oh, I could just write it off and not have to pretend that it was like, you know, because I, you know, I did have some sort of, you know, alcohol-induced sexual dysfunction, but I could be like, oh, I was just fucked. I was just, you know, I was just boozing too hard and, and just kind of use it as a bit of a scapegoat. 
And I noticed that pattern. I was like, fuck, I'm, you know, I, I, there's probably like a period of five years in my life where I never had sex sober. Like I was always drunk when I had sex. And I was like, that is not healthy. That's not right, man. Like, you know, sex is supposed to be enjoyable. And I was fucked. I barely remember half the sex I was having. So um, it just like, I just noticed these patterns. I was like, all right, I need to make a, I need to, you know, make a stand for myself really more than anything. And didn't really tell a lot of people that I'd taken the year off. And so what I noticed, and this is what I, I wanted to ask you about is like, I noticed the pressure that people put on me to drink. Like you, like it's expe- like, especially in Australia, I feel like as though it's like expected of you to, to go out and drink it. It's expected of you to, to drink a lot. And it's expected of you to, especially as a guy as well, to like, put the you know put the beer away and um and so i i noticed that my relationships with my with certain friends changed the guys that were like really like my masculinity was tied up in how much i could drink and how much of that like um drinking culture i could be a part of to them i was less of a man because i wasn't drinking that much or i wasn't coming out to certain venues with them and and so i distanced myself from them and that's kind of where my whole shifting of masculinity started to change as well for me personally and so i wanted to know about yourself man how is the um well have you noticed that kind of peer pressure with regards to drinking have you noticed it with regards to like the your, your masculinity and your manhood and, and things like that like what's been your experience yeah well 100 percent, i would have been drinking most of the time to impress females or have the confidence to chat with girls there's a massive portion of that I think was just put in me being a, a valid or a valid source of, of man at the bar to not be that guy in the corner who's not dancing, to not be the shy guy who gets intimidated by a crowd. It was 99%, I would say, masking that to be the outgoing guy. And lots of everyone acts different when they're drunk. But for me, I, I really had a, a solid chunk of the night being a very funny attention-seeking, but quite charismatic, confident, fun guy. It was just those last few drinks that turned sloppy and then the the days afterwards that would be terrible. And heaven forbid if I bump into someone the next day who met me out the night before and I'm the coolest guy and I was so funny, they've never met anyone like me, and then they see me the next day just a shell of myself and they're like, hang on, what the hell? And um, uh I found I would put a lot of my, a lot of guilt and a lot of pressure on myself to be that person. Hence the day drinking and the pre-drinking to the pre-drinks, because I had this certain persona that I seemed to get attention for and felt that there was no other way. I remember going on a date with a, a girl, a high school crush. A few years later, we we met up at someone's reunion and I had a few drinks in me. And for the first time ever, I was chatting to her. I never chatted with her really at school. She heard some rumors that I found her hot. I was just embarrassed, never spoke to her had a great night, had a few drinks, was chatting with her quite a lot. We organized a date, a breakfast date the next morning for 8am at her apartment. And I remember setting my alarm at six to have red wine to make sure that I was still at that level. So yeah, I liked, I thought I was more appealing and attractive to the opposite sex with alcohol for sure. In terms of my friends, I had, I think quite a unique position where my best mates have been very supportive in it, but I also had quite a gap just the way I move around a lot for work and, and travel and, and family and stuff. So the time where I started getting sober, I was actually in Perth where I didn't know that many people. My big drinking days were on the Gold Coast during uni. So it was just after this, I'd gone traveling. I'd, I'd, 
fucked up quite a few times over there. But then I was back in Perth and kind of had the opportunity to be a recluse if I wanted to. There weren't too many social commitments. So I had this year or two where I could just go to uni, go about my own business and secretly deal with things by myself. So by the time I really had to deal with my good mates who live on the East Coast again, I'm three and a half, four years in. They already know. They've already accepted it. I feel people are a lot more open-minded about it anyway these days. You can tell nine-tenths of people that you tell. You can tell in their mind they know that they probably drink a little too much and or need to give up themselves. And like, oh, and I feel if you just hit them with the bang on truth, oh, yeah, man, you, you should have seen me. I, I was just I was just ridiculous. I'd be naked on the table. I'd wake up the next day anxious as shit, and it just wasn't for me anymore. And you can see them, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I, I know that too. So I'm like, well, all good. So I was actually really surprised that my male friends didn't really care. I'd always jump, before I gave up drinking, always jumped to this worst-case scenario of, you know, a 45-year-old ocker bloke in a pub. Be like, hey, mate, you can't come in here if you're not going to have a beer with us all. <laughs> like, it, it just doesn't really happen in my experience. So I've been quite lucky like that. I think a, a good set of events. If I still lived on the Gold Coast and never went travelling, never went back to Perth, I, I probably would have still drank for a long, long time before it all came crashing down. So I think, you know, it's not, not everyone can do that, but I had the luxury of being able to move away from my normal and sort of reinvent myself in a way somewhere else, just with the with my family, the support, and not much temptation. Yeah, yeah, interesting, man. And I'm curious. Then you know, we've spoken a little bit about, and we kind of touched on it a little bit before, um, you know, experimentation with psychedelics and and things like that. And I'm I'm wondering, did that experimentation start when you were sober, or were you mixing and matching? psychedelics and and other types of substances with booze when you were still drinking oh definitely definitely mixing and matching uh, ever since <laughs> and the funny thing is i didn't have my first drink till halfway through grade 12. i was very uh goody two shoes into sport not doing all the grade 10 11 parties and and hearing all these stories about people vomiting and, and getting drunk on the weekend i just didn't want anything to do with it. So it really started for me about a year after high school into the uni days, into the living in surface paradise days. Um, and it came on quite quick and it basically, yeah, any drug I could get my hands on or we were keen to do. I was curious to try them. Um, I had a lot of good experiences with them. I really can't remember too many times where I've, I've had a bad experience with, with any drug. So it, it was always the mixing and matching. And then I always find it a bit, it is probably a bit interesting or a bit hard for some people to wrap their heads around. I know my parents can't, where I give up alcohol and I'm quite healthy now and, and quite focused on gym and, and healthy eating and stuff. But from time to time, I'll still do other drugs when the time comes. And it's because I, I know my relationship, every single drug is different. And I know my relationship with different things. I don't you know, have some magic mushrooms with some friends one night and wake up the next day and say, oh, my God, give me more magic mushrooms or am waiting and ticking down the time till 5 p.m. on a Wednesday to go and have a couple of secret magic mushrooms in my car. You know, like it just doesn't really work like that. So um, marijuana is probably the one that I struggle with and I, I think it runs parallel with the accessibility. Um a lot as well it's quite easy to get and there were there were some times even after giving up alcohol i smoke a lot more marijuana and it would almost cause um you know the same sort of mental health issues for me personally i wouldn't be going out and getting naked and, and being a dickhead and vomiting all over the streets but i it did still have 
uh, like little demony kind of, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. You know you're better than this. You know this isn't the best decision for you. So I steer clear of that unless it's uh, on very rare occasions now if the time calls for it. Someone busts out a joint and I don't have work for a couple of weeks. So... Um, yeah, always mix and match. And now these days to say, yeah, I don't drink, but I'm pretty much open to most psychedelic drugs is a weird thing for people to get their head around. I'm not a big fan of the manufactured um, cocaines, ecstasy, MDMA. Uh, very, very, very rarely would I do that. Um, but, yeah, so for me, most psychedelics are on the table given I have good time off. I get a few weeks off a year in certain parts, basically school holiday leave. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm doing them, but if I have a large chunk of time off, for me, I think it's quite beneficial. Um, anyone who's done psychedelic drugs, I think, can understand that to a certain degree. Um, it's really a different kettle of fish than, than you know, your hard party drugs and your, your alcohols and whatnot. I think it's beneficial and it's also a way for me to think, oh, yeah, you know, the kettle will come off the boil every now and then. It's just it's, it's not the alcohol. It's not the traditional way of letting your hair down. A lot of people find it a bit weird, but for me, it, it works and, and I quite enjoy it and look forward to those um, special moments a few times a year. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure-oriented, we talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader, and all of this amazing stuff. So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Uh, let's get back to this episode. Yeah, nice, man. Thanks for sharing, dude. And I, I appreciate being being open and honest about it. And because uh, it's it's something that I, I I've experimented with a lot of different substances and drugs as well and and something that I speak to a lot of you know young Australian dudes about is um, you know, the the first time they tried LSD or they tried psychedelics or they tried mushrooms or you know anything else really anything other than alcohol I usually say well, I usually ask them you know what was the context you know wh- when you tr- when you first tried it because they're like I'd never touch that shit again like I'm so it fucked me up and it's like okay man well can you explain to me the first time that you tried it what what happened and usually the story that I get is very very similar it's I was at a house party or I was at a music concert I was fucked already I was drinking heaps and you know and I was mixing and matching and and someone panned me this pill or someone gave me some shrooms and I didn't know how much I was taking I didn't know what was in it didn't I'd never had it before and I had this horrible terrible experience and I go, well, no wonder you had a terrible experience, man. Think of the context you were you were in, and um, and so there's like there's a guy, um, Timothy Leary, who did this. You know, he, he was a Harvard professor, and he, he came up with this idea of set and setting, right? For for psychedelics, it's like you you think of your your mindset and the mindset that you're in, um, which is uh, you know, half the half the kind of puzzle, and then the other half is like your environmental setting, like where where are you, what context are you in, and and what are you doing, and. And so often, you know, I learned that very young, actually. I learned, like, I was just super interested in psychedelics when I was, like, in year 10 and 11 for some reason. I was a bit of a weird dude. Um, and so, I, I, you know, was reading about this and I was like, oh, that's super interesting. Like, I didn't apply that to alcohol at all, but I'd certainly applied it to any type of other, you know, 
other uh, substance that I was taking. I was like, oh, I just got to make sure that I, you know, I've got a day beforehand to prep. I've got a day to take whatever I'm taking. And then I've got at least a day afterwards to kind of integrate and decompress. And, and that was something that I, I um, implemented at a very early age and it served me really well. And it's something I share with um, a lot of the guys who um, have those negative stories around psychedelics or anything other than other than booze so it's i resonate um with what you're sharing man and and i'm i guess i'm i'm curious brother like what um what has been a profound experience for you on psychedelics have you had any like really like whoa that was a game changer type experience um yeah i I mean i've done a, a lot of different psychedelics and in a lot of different settings, a, a lot of times overseas in these, and I know, I know people was like, don't ever do that overseas. What are you doing? Um, but there are, if you, if you study enough, you know, town, real hippie towns where it's like you've stepped back 30 years into the past and um, have a, an access and a very welcoming, almost like a more of a welcoming and, um, less judgmental vibe in these places than if you were to say being one of your major metropolitan cities in Australia and do something like this. So, um, yeah, that, that's my idea of a, of a good time as well. We're um, going to these sorts of places and, and I think you, because you're on holiday and you're traveling, you, you've got, you're more, you're more at peace anyway, cause you've escaped your, your day to day grind. You're in a different mindset and you're open to, to more people. And I think there's just this glow about backpacking around some developing country a bit more, um, than just going about your day to day. There's obviously the added, uh, aspect of nature and, and, and whatnot. So in terms of, mind-blowing experiences there's been quite a lot i find i'm not amazing at then describing these things back in terms of taking i remember how i felt at the time i I remember it being you know one of the most happy loving compassionate clear experiences of my life in terms of then bringing it back uh to the real world i i struggle a little bit this one is it, sound, it sounds like a terrible example on uh, coming out of my, my mouth, but I, this one sticks with me quite a lot. <laughs> it's, this is just going to wipe any credibility of me being some beautiful psychedelic taker. But it was when I took truffles in Amsterdam and we were, uh, I, I was going there as a backpacking trip with with my brothers and I knew about all the, the legalities in, in Amsterdam. We're like, yeah, great. We'll, we'll smoke some weed. We'll experience the weed culture. I know truffles are legal there as well. There are a few other things we can probably get our hands on. And I didn't even think about it at the time, but, but I did know in the back of my mind about the red light district and the the Amsterdam sex scene. And I didn't think anything about it until we arrived there. And it just so happened that the place we were staying was smack bang in the red light district. And we were like, right, first things first, let's put our stuff down. We'll go have a walk around the city. I'm sure we'll be able to find some some weed and mushrooms at some shop and let's just soak in the scene and, and go and pick something up. And then we, within two minutes, we were walking right through the red light district. And I remember thinking, oh, well, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I have read about this, you know, the, the girls in the windows, I heard they were quite beautiful. I'm like, oh, geez, all right, yeah, she's all right. Oh, wow, this is, this is quite interesting, you know, the, the concept of just being window shopped for sex and like a, a human can be a commodity, a bit bizarre, but okay, went in Rome. 
And then we went and got the the truffles and whatnot, and we had an early night. The next day, we had a we had a great time. We went to the Amsterdam Zoo, and I remember in one eye I saw a giraffe and an elephant, and in the other I saw a house with a fucking Volvo, and was like, "Oh my god, what the <laughs> what the hell? Like, how can this be in the same shot?" And um, I, I felt a lot more compassion for animals than I ever had before. But um, then that night, I was I was still tripping, and and we went back through the red light district, and I just remember seeing these girls and it dawned on me and I mean this in the most respectful way I was $60 away from having an experience with the most beautiful women that I've ever seen and as someone who you know has has had you know enough sex and enough relationships and with with people that I've respected and loved and found very attractive but this was on another scale and it dawned on me the whole trip that I, I was, you know, simply 320 euro notes away from having this incredible experience, or at least what I thought, what I built up in my mind, you know, basically to just step onto a porn set, really, that kind of attractiveness level. And I mean, what goes on behind that curtain is really if, because the ego had been stripped, I, I could basically just describe whatever I wanted. My craziest fantasy, it was, it was three meters and 60 euro away. And, um, this was quite a few years ago, so I was still quite immature, but it was the first time that I'd kind of processed how much the attraction of a female, how big a role sex and being a valid sexual, sexual partner and the divine female, <laughs> as, as dumb as it sounds, in some Amsterdam shop window that I, was, I just couldn't, I, for the first time I was like, oh, my God, like this, this could, you know, you could draw a conclusion to every single thing in your life uh, that it relates back in some way to the female divine and you trying to prove to yourself that you're worthy of something that, A, you put on such a pedestal and, and you're so fascinated by yourself. I mean, I'm probably doing radio in a certain way to get a certain amount of clout. You know, I, I, I'm probably po portray a, uh, an image on social media to, to become a, a more you know, attractive person on the online world. Every interaction at a shop, there's this bit of me is like, oh, you know, is, it, is this an attractive, you know, do, do we vibe here? Is this an attractive person? Not necessarily looking for sex at all times, but always very, very aware that there is a female device sort of a, a, this bigger concept of, than me that kind of just... Is, has always been there that I never realised until <laughs> walking down a street in Amsterdam high on truffles, staring at goddess after goddess after goddess and knowing that it could become a reality. Um, I hope I explained that right, but it, it was the most bizarre setting to learn an important lesson like that. You would think it would be more some beautiful South American princess in the Amazon under a waterfall whilst I took mushrooms watching a sunset, but that was one that really stuck with me. <laughs> Yeah, man. Thanks for sharing, dude. And that's um, yeah, it's a it's a pretty intense insight to have as well, which I don't think a lot of guys like take ownership of. Which is a lot of the things that they're doing are to like to impress women at the surface level, but also something that's deeper than that is like there's a self worth thing going on there. It's like, do I, you know, am I, am I? man enough am i uh, a good enough partner am i a good enough lover am i you know d d does this 
you know, that, that kind of concept of the, you know, divine feminine was the language you used, but this, you know, whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is that you were, you know, whatever language you used to describe it, it's like, am I good enough? Am I, am I enough just in general? And there's like such a big self-worth piece that a lot of guys, you know, don't recognize in themselves. They try and suppress and they try and hide and, and um, it kind of, they put a lid on it, but it squeezes out in, in other ways um, and, and in certain detrimental behaviors as well. So I think it's a, um, I think it's a really good insight for, for guys to take away from your sharing, man. So I appreciate you, um, you going into it and, and the, the, the offhanded remark of, you know, in the Amazon with a beautiful woman under a waterfall, uh, what was similar to, to my experience actually, when you, when you say that, like I, I, I traveled to South America with my brother um, and we, we we went to Peru. We've actually got a lot of family in Peru. My my dad, who could write a book about his whole life, was born in Inverness, Scotland. But when he was a couple of years old, his family relocated to a place called La Arroya in Peru, which is in the Andes, uh, the mountains of Peru, because um, my grandfather was a engineer um, or geologist engineer. Um, and uh, so got a job in the, in the Andes. Um, and so my dad grew up in South America and, and so we've got a lot of family over there and I, I go back and visit as often as possible. So one year I went with my brother and um, after visiting family and, and having a, a really beautiful time, we we flew into a place called Iquitos, which is like northeast of Peru, um, bordering on Brazil. And uh, and the only, the only way you can get into there is by flying, I believe. I don't think there's a way you can drive in. I think you can only fly in. And we... Then and we traveled down this little boat to um to to go to this like little ayahuasca retreat space I suppose and um you know we, we kind of did our research before going and we wanted to find at least something that was reputable and and something that was uh, I mean uh, we were quite young still so I don't know how ethical it was to go into one of these spaces but um we did it and. Uh, and yeah, we took uh, we did four ayahuasca ceremonies over the course of two weeks when we were there, and um, and yeah, like the similar like similar concept. You know, the the, the ayahuasca is often known as the mother, right? The divine kind of feminine. This the that the the, the plant medicine uh, is referred to like that. And so it was. It was this kind of meeting of this uh, feminine figure. I don't know if I would call it womanly, but it was definitely feminine. And, um, and I think there's a, there's a distinction there, but it was like, yeah, it was this, um, this insight that I had of, of, um, I don't know, just like my relationship with my own mum kind of came into it. And then my relationship with like the, like my own, like my femininity as well. Like I, I was really as a younger man, like, not obsessed, but very vigilant about how I was seen as a, as a guy, as a man, like, uh, uh, um, you know, I was, I was an athlete and I was, um, you know, I was a big drinker, like I was sharing before. So I was quite concerned with the image that I, that I had as a, as a man and as a viable man, as well as an attractive man, I, you know, I wanted to kind of be this certain, portray this certain image. Uh, and so a lot of that kind of shifted for me as I was, you know, introduced to this, this, uh, plant spirit this this divine feminine um through ayahuasca and and my brother um as well had a pretty intense experience with regards to his um anxiety and um he, he won't mind me sharing this he's given me permission but his panic attacks as well he had a, a really intense experience with regards to how he could manage and overcome his anxiety and, and panic attacks so it was it was it was very profound you know it was very um it was it was like I would go as far to say it was like life altering. It was life changing, and um, and like I, 
no, I, I don't share that a lot. You know, I'm, I'm still, I think there's still like this taboo and stigma um, around, especially like as, you know, people that have professions, right? Like I'm, I, you know, I have a, I have a, a job. It's not a regular job, right? Similar to yourself. It's not necessarily a, a common job, but it's still a, a profession, right? And it's still um, something that I want to pursue. And, and you've shared before, it's something you want to keep on pursuing. And, and like, I'm, I'm, like, do I, if I share this, is it going to detract from the aspirations that I have in this career path? And if this gets out and, and people are going to learn about it, like, where's the, you know, where do I draw the line with regards to this? And um, I've shared that story a couple of times now, so I don't mind repeating it. But, um, but yeah, it's just, I just kind of find it interesting that we have this, like, people will share online about how fucked up they got when they're drinking alcohol, but they won't share like a really, profound experience with regards to psychedelics um that they might have had out of fear of it being detrimental to to their image so i just kind of think it's that that interesting juxtaposition that we're okay to prop up getting fucked up but you know having this really insightful experience is is kind of not comfortable to be shared about yeah well i I think that goes into what i was saying before about doing it overseas and of course you want to do it in the in the right environments and you you don't you definitely want to make sure you got all your ducks in a row but there is this accepting almost community of people that you know are very open-minded and, and enjoy doing that kind of thing. And I always remember sometimes when I do psychedelics at home um, or, or in Australia, there's this after effect of, oh, that's right. Like, people don't really do that. And I've got to be quite select with who I tell about that, A, because some people just won't care or, or won't understand, but also some people will judge. I was like, oh, that's a shame. But I really enjoy this. Like this would be my top five things to do ever. <laughs> but some people just uh, aren't going to get that. Um, but maybe that's what what makes it fun. And it's interesting that I I haven't done ayahuasca myself, but uh, I've heard a lot about the female energy and and it's a very uh, feminine uh, overarching feel of the whole experience. But I think most times I've been involved in psychedelics. I'm very there is this lingering energy of of my mom or or uh, and my dad both sides but I'm very aware of how much I've taken from my parents my mannerisms my thoughts my like I really am uh you know certain bits certain cells of of my parents are within me and I never notice that more than when I'm on um psychedelics yeah interesting man and th- th- I feel like there's a similar thing with um, like sex, right? And sexuality. And we, we've spoken a little bit about this. It's like, uh, and maybe I'm a bit fortunate because it is my, it's my job to talk about sex, I suppose. But I still also find that I censor myself when I'm talking to certain people. Like if I'm talking to, I remember when I was, when I was first doing this work, I used to also work in hospitality. And if someone asked me like, like what I did, what else I did, instead of saying that I was, um, a sex coach or if I was studying sexology or if I was, you know, doing anything with, with sex, you know, related, I'd say, oh, I'm a counselor or I'm a, I'm studying psychology, right? If I just didn't want to deal with their judgment or expectation or whatever it is that I projected onto whatever they might say, I was just like, no, I'm just going to say that I'm uh, a counselor or a, a psychologist because there is this weird stigma and i still notice a little bit of that in the back of my mind i'm way more comfortable with it now but of like what are people going to think if i uh, especially as a guy as well i'm like well, i don't want to be that creepy sex dude you know that's interested in sex and talks about it a lot lo and behold i, I ended up becoming that guy anyway um maybe in a bit more of a healthy version but uh but yeah and, and so 
I um and, and so I wanted to know you know with yourself, man, because you're quite open when we talk uh, on radio about your own sexual experiences and your own sex life. But have you come up against that maybe taboo or stigma or judgment of of being a guy who's open about sexuality? Hmm. Well, enough, no. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are people that listen in the in the car and think, "Oh, gross! What's this guy talking about? Let's turn it off." never in terms of any social media hate and I've never really thought about it. When I used to do midnight to 5am, oh, God, like it was, every second break was about sex, um, whereas these days I feel the show, maybe I find a topic every now and then, but it's basically just reserved for you and I on, on that Monday at that time, uh, which is fine. It's more just how the show's evolved. But when you're midnight to 5 and you've got five hours to fill, geez, if you've got even one inkling about sex or a thought or an experience or a story that you've read, you're going to, you're going to go for it. Cause you need time to fill. I went to a swingers club with an ex partner of mine. We went to a swingers club and um, she came in and we basically did an hour breakdown of our experience after our first time at a swingers club. So that was, that was pretty much as, as open and, and as uh, intense and, and transparent as you can get. I really like it. I think in my general day-to-day life, I've always been that person who's happy to tell a sex joke or happy to open up about a sex experience. And I really, There's nothing that could shock me in terms of if someone told me a, a story about their sex life or, or if I said something to them. Occasionally you can hear someone wince if you're telling a, a party of five and you realise that there's one person who's a bit more uptight than the rest. Um, and that's fine. But no, that's one thing that I've always been very comfortable about um, sharing. And and it is part of me. It's, it's part of all of us. So even those people who are a little bit cringy about it, maybe a lot of them also maybe are quite interested in it or wish that they could tell a story. But I, I've just never felt that that is something that I should put my guard up with, even to my parents. You know, I'm happy to tell them whatever uh, what happened if I slept with anyone, if I'm seeing anyone, you know, funny, funny stories and whatnot. Um, so no, it's, it's always been pretty on the table for me. Mm, Nice man. Nice. What about the combining the two? What about sex and psychedelics? Has there been any opportunity to explore both of those things at the same time? Yeah, there is. As someone who has never been in a relationship for more than eight months, there's, Either um, there's two ways, you know, I'll obviously be taking psychedelics and seeing someone, whether it be casually or in a relationship, and we'll both be doing them together, which, of course, sex is inevitable. And there's the other half of the time, probably three quarters of the time where I've been doing psychedelics and I'm, I'm just with a, a good mate, a good guy, mate, or I'm by myself. And it, every single time it pops up at some point in the trip or the experience, oh, you know, it would be great right now to express some some sexual love with someone. Not 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 all in a horny way, but like, oh wow, no, the, hang on, this is a big part of you and what you enjoy and what you like, and a big part of why we're on the planet anyway. So whenever I'm not with a girl during a psychedelic experience, it always pops up. Like, oh god, oh, you should should have really uh, thought a bit more about how lonely you'd feel during this trip. Whereas whereas the times that I have done it. Yeah, it's obviously been great. It's um, it, it take I find it takes out the bravado of sex a lot of the time. I'm very hung up, and I've become better over the years with more maturity and just probably being a bit more self aware. But a lot of the time, I would just find myself a having sex with people as as bad as it sounds, having people I didn't really want to have sex with, 
more just because I, I thought that would that should be the thing that I should do, that I would be more of a man, that it was all about the number of sexual partners. Um, I'd be imagining that I was a you know a porn star or just thinking, right, let's do this angle, let's do that, and, and just not in the moment one bit. So one thing I have I am when I'm on psychedelics and what I've learned to try and take away from those trips is that if you take out the bravado and really focus on breathing and being in the moment um, and, and take the ego out of it, that it can be a really different and really beneficial experience, a bit more vulnerable, a, a bit slower, a bit more breathing. It's It's the times when tantric sex makes sense. Sometimes when I'm just in a complete baseline and I haven't done something like that for a while. I'm like, what, bloody tantrum, what are you talking about? Sex for five hours, who cares? There's things to do, places to go. Whereas when you're in a really deep experiment, experience with someone that you that you respect and you've got good feelings for and, and you're both trustworthy of each other, there's like, oh, yeah, I get it, okay. And um, it's, yeah, it's one of those things. And once again, it goes back to that, uh, that female, but it's, it's not the, I'm a man having sex. It's, oh, wow. You know, the, this is a, a, a privilege and this is one of life's great gifts. And you should really try and remember some of this and try and applicate it even to when you're not taking psychedelics in terms of breathing, not caring about just the strength of your erection and how long you can hold on for and trying to think about a spider web in the shed to slow yourself down so you don't pop and more just appreciate the touch of skin, appreciate the smell of neck, appreciate the feeling of body on body and, and look into someone's eyes and, and be, you know, take as much pleasure in the kiss as, you know, the downstairs penetration and, you know, just all these little things that, you know, and you, you could almost, you could list them off sober, but you might not really think about as deeply as to when you're in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the word that stood out for me was appreciation, like just having that appreciation for, you know, that the affection and, and the touch and the pleasure and, and the sense of smell and, and everything that kind of comes with quote unquote being in the moment. Right. And, and the word, the, the buzzword gets thrown around in my community a lot is present, just, just being present in that moment or having presence um, with your partner. And, and for me, that's what being present means is like just kind of having that appreciation for all those little nuanced pieces of sensation that you can you can have um in that in that experience and something that i I appreciate you sharing man is um you know when you're uh alone or when you're with um when you're with someone else who you wouldn't be you know sharing a sexual experience with uh and you're having the psychedelic you know trip is that some sort of thought pops up or it's always part of your trip this sexual element right and this is something that i've um that I didn't really like, I, I never knew this uh, until I started speaking to other guys about their experiences. Cause it, that, that's true for me as well. Every time I take something psychedelic, uh, like without fail, something pops up with regards to sexuality. And I, either I, I feel a desire to express and explore, or I want to connect with the person next to me, whether it's explicit, sexually explicit, or whether it's just like through touching and affection and just exploring like sen- senses and sen- sensuality in that, that regard. Um, but it wasn't until I started speaking to other guys about their experiences, particularly on, and maybe this will land for you, but particularly on mushrooms. Like every time I speak to guys and like really get them to open up about their mushroom experiences, they will usually say to me, 
yeah, man. And, and then I had this like desire. I wanted to masturbate. I wanted to kind of touch myself. I, I you know, kind of felt this desire to kind of pleasure and, and to kind of experience that. And I usually have to probe a little bit to get guys to share that with me. Like usually it's quite surface level talking about, which is very Australian to say, yeah, I just kind of, you know, took mushrooms and you know, had this fucked up trip and I saw this crazy shit. And it's like, cool, man, what, what was underneath that? You know, let's go a little bit deeper. And, and usually when I get them to that point, oftentimes you know, more often than not they'll share with me hey i just kind of had this desire to kind of want to touch myself and you know pleasure and and have sex and, and do things like that and so i think there is this element of sexuality in psychedelic experiences that a lot of guys you know i think there's maybe it breaks down a wall for them a little bit to kind of want to explore that those inhibitions and that ego gets dropped that bravado gets dropped a little bit and there's this desire to want to experience and ex explore their sexuality a bit more when that psychedelic experience is happening and i'm wondering does that land for you does that kind of resonate with regards to mushrooms in particular yeah absolutely in, in regards to mushrooms in particular i think that there's always at least something that pops up whether it's uh, this this loneliness or, or like an existential crisis thinking, hey, is it time to settle down? Or have you been too sex-focused versus love-focused or or just something to do? Oh, my God, you know, there's that, there's that woman over there. I mean, I know she has no idea that I'm here and I'm just lying here on a picnic blanket tripping the world away and, and you know, she's just going on, on a walk. But holy shit, like Jesus Christ. Um, and then there are those times where you're just – almost yeah and it seems just so silly there, i mean there's i don't mind sharing this and it sounds it sounds wacky now and i admit it but there was this one time where i i thought how like sure like you're going to take a sexual experience from someone you, you'll sleep with a woman and you're 100 just thinking oh you know here's here's a beautiful face here's her body here's her lovely hair here's her vagina here's the sex you're experiencing this person now it hit me she's not experiencing that at all she's experiencing you and, you know, I've never stared into, I've never put a mirror on my pillow and pretended that I was, you know, having sex with me before. I never thought about it really. And I was like, oh my God, like how, how do I come across when I'm having sex? And then I, and then I got into this stupid warp. I was like, if there was a complete clone of me right here, right now, would I bang me? <laughs> <laughs> being, being a completely heterosexual male, but would I still do fucked up things to him because it was me? And I'd obviously be consenting to me doing the fucked up things. And then I just went into the bathroom and stared at myself in the mirror and jerked off over myself for 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a practice that I give to guys in my work, man. I don't necessarily, you know, tell them to, to be on, on mushrooms at the time, but uh, I definitely say that, you know, it can be really helpful to, to kind of almost like reclaim or take back or take ownership of your own sexual desire, your own sexuality, because a lot of guys outsource it. This is a whole other conversation, but a lot of guys outsource their desire to what they're looking at, right? Whether it's on screen or whether it's a, a person in front of them. Uh, and so I, I often you know, say as, a, as an experiment or as a, as a thing to try is like, go in the mirror, go stare yourself down and, and you know, get, see if you can get turned on by your own body. See if you can get turned on just by your own touch. Um, you know, you, the, there's the, the cliche saying, it's like, you're, you're your own greatest lover, right? And you'll have sex more times with yourself than you will with another person throughout your whole entire life. So, you know, can you, um, can you bring a bit more, uh, let's say, um, reverence or, 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 you know, a bit more deepness to that kind of relationship, um, which sounded like, you know, came through on the, on, on psychedelics for you, but it's definitely something I encourage guys in general to, to just try out. 
I am so relieved that that's part of your program because I I honestly think there was something in it and it was quite an eye-opening experience and I can't tell many people, well, if I tell, I'll tell mates and they're like, what, you bloody tripper, and we just laugh it off. But I'm like, no, you you really should try it. And when you think about it, it's more, I mean, it makes more sense than looking at some pixels that you are, you know, seven degrees of separation, you know, foreign to you anyway. You know, it's 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 like that. That's there's a kind of normal seater just jerking off to porn, which is just flashing lights on your screen of people that you have no idea who they are and you'll never meet, versus just the person that you're in every day staring at yourself. It might be considered a bit uh, a bit gay. Yeah, I think that's where the stigma is for a lot of, uh, obviously for a lot of straight dudes to to do something like that. I think, to be honest with you, man, I think like there's this fear of guys doing anything other than just sitting at a computer screen and jerking off to porn that, you know, if they if they deviate from that at all, because it's been so normalized for a lot of guys that they're considered weird for doing that, right? Like if, if even if like the suggestions that I have for guys watching porn and I've, I've shared this a bunch of times and I, I don't mind saying it again is like you know stand up or, or put headphones on and and you know close the screen down so you're just listening to the point like do other things if you're still going to use porn that's you know that's a whole conversation i won't say it's fine i think there's you know things to talk about but if you're going to use porn like at least try different ways of using porn as well like and and i think there's that fear of oh if i do anything other than what's quote-unquote normal then i'm i'm a weird dude, I'm gay for touching myself, you know, let alone my ass, you know, that's another another conversation of like exploring prostate stuff and and things like that. But yeah, there is this quote unquote, I'm gay if I, if I look at myself in the mirror, if I do anything other than just what's considered normal. Yeah, it's a, and I, I reckon most guys out there will be able to resonate at least whether they didn't act on it or not, at least when they're like, you know what, I'm horny. But right now, a status quo masturbation session just won't do. Like, that's, that's not enough for me. So I need to shake something up somehow. And uh, one of those times it just so happened that, yes, I was on shrooms and had access to a mirror. But, yeah, you know, funny things like that, ways to um, to change up your routine and just examine it through a different glass, I guess. Mm, yeah. Thank. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for, for being open and, and honest. I know you were like, well, I'm just going to share this. It'll sound wacky, but I appreciate you leaning into it and sharing it. I um, uh, And I'm just mindful of time as well, Danny. And, and I usually I usually close podcasts with um, like asking my guests for like any advice or any nuggets of wisdom that they, may, they have themselves or they've had shared with them that they'd like to share to kind of people listening and maybe guys maybe that are listening to this particular conversation. And um, and I'm wondering, is there anything that's kind of coming up for you as we close down this podcast that you'd like to share with some fellas listening? Oh, wow. Big question. Um, my advice, I have a few friends who I think they think it's, it's tough or macho or male to act like it's just a take, take, take. And I don't know whether it's a generation thing, take, take, take in regards of sex. And I don't know if it's a generation thing or if they've been too whitewashed with porn or it's a who knows, private school thing, footy club thing, whatever the fuck thing, how you come to that conclusion. But I take 85% of my pleasure, I think, from the giving aspect. 
And I'm not saying that I'm some Hercules Lothario who was put on this planet to pleasure women, but I, I am saying that the the privilege and the, and the act of being able to please someone else whilst pleasing yourself and celebrating um, just beauty and, and lust and, and you know, from some, I've never been in love, but, you know, a, cer- a certain surface level of love when you're deep in that moment is, uh, is in- incredible. And, you know, from time to time, sure, you're just bursting at the seams with a partner and it's like, right, babe, we just need a quickie or blah, 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 this, or quick happy ending here at a massage parlor that, or let me pay for sex, you know, whatever floats your boat. But to just live in that that is your one wood every time, Ha ha, yeah, I don't go down on a girl. Ha ha, yeah, we just did doggy and then I kicked her out. Or ha ha, yeah, I'm just meeting up with this chick on Tinder for a quick fuck. I think, you know, it's it would be important to maybe just have a quiet 10 with yourself and think why that is and whether that's helpful to you or anyone else. Mm, beautiful, man. Yeah, that's very pertinent and i resonate deeply with with what you're sharing man i see that a lot in the men's groups that i that i host is is guys having similar experiences so thanks man thanks for for spending an hour chatting with me and and for being candid as well i know there's some pretty personal stuff there so i appreciate you being uh being open and you know we didn't mention this word but being vulnerable as well it's pretty vulnerable to share shit like this so i appreciate you uh you doing it man it, it's um yeah it's deeply resonating with me and and hopefully with some guys and listening so yeah i just want to say a big thank you thanks so much it's a pleasure to, to be on the podcast and i look forward to our chats every monday and um it's it's been great to to get things off my chest and speak vocally about these things you discover more about yourself by by being open and speaking out loud in live time so thanks anytime and and cheers and i hope it helps some people out there as well thanks man thanks